0: this week in cycling a history of our wonderful sport for the discerning listener this week in cycling history in 1998 wilfried nellison underwent a scan on his knee and was reassured that after a minor operation he would return to full fitness the belgian sprinter had suffered a serious knee injury after a terrible crash during the 1996 Ghent wevelgem where he broke his tibia femur and kneecap the knee injury wiped out the subsequent 2 years of nellison's career but after receiving the news in 1998 that he would make a full recovery, Nellison deteriorated further and was forced to retire at age just 27. Nellison is perhaps best remembered for his contribution to two tours to France, one in 1993, which he'll remember fondly, and one the following year, which he won't. In 1993, he was involved in a ding-dong battle with Mario Cipollini as, due to time bonuses, they swapped the yellow jersey back and forth for the opening week. Nellison also won stage two, and he spent four days in the Maillot-Jean. But on the opening stage of the 1994 Tour de France, Nellison, in the Belgian national champions jersey, was powering towards a stage win, but collided with a policeman who was standing beside the barriers, taking a photograph. Nellison and Laurent Jalabert, in particular, suffered terrible injuries, and their tour was over before it had even begun. A further interesting incident for which Nellison probably isn't best remembered took place in a Belgium Criterium race during his early years as a cyclist. Nellison and another Belgian rider appeared to cross the finishing line together at the end of the race. But as it was a minor race and there were no TV cameras present, the organisers could not decide which one had crossed the line first. So they made the two riders race the final kilometre again from a standing start one-on-one to determine the winner. Nelson made no mistake the second time and Julie crossed the line in first place, this time by a clear margin.
1: So welcome to this, the first in This Week in Cycling History podcasts. That was Killian doing his usual stuff and the format is going to be that Killian and I will pick pivotal points in the sport that are particularly apposite to the week that we're in and then chat about them. Now, this first episode has been cursed like the omen back in the day. Because what's happened is we've had calendar clashes, we've had Skype fallouts. We've even, on one memorable occasion, had the police call me into the delivery office to give them access. That was compounded further on Sunday when we recorded this, when my half of the conversation turned into the equivalent of Scott's, um, Scott's interview from the wardrobe. So you've got wee monologues from me in between Killian's bits. Uh Rie Wilfried Nelson is the winner of the Belgian Road Championship, but little else. His only big single one-day race was Het Volk, uh, and I expected far more of him. I remember the horrific pictures of him lying on the pavement beside Jalabere, and I remember that in a, a premonition of the concerns we've got now about races, particularly in the, the lowland countries, you know, Holland and Belgium, it was a piece of street furniture that essentially did for his career. So... Let's go into the next thing that kelly has got to talk about this week.
0: There have been several incidents relating to cycling's most romantic climb, Alpe d'Huez, while also relating to the calendar's most romantic day, Valentine's Day. The most famous of these incidents was the death of Marco Pantani in 2004. The Italian climber had won the Alpe d'Huez stage in Tour de France on two consecutive occasions in 1995 and 1997. Pantani would go on to win the Tour itself in 1998, along with the Giro d'Italia. But after testing positive at the 1999 Giro, when he was just two stages away from victory, his career and his life began to unravel. One of the best cycling books ever written is The Death of Marco Pantani by Matt Rendell, which chronicles not only the life and and death of Pantani, but also highlights many things that are wrong with the sport of cycling. In 2004, Pantani died alone on Valentine's Day in a hotel room in Rimini, having overdosed on cocaine. Although Pantani won two consecutive editions of the Alpe d'Huez stage in the Tour de France, due to the AB sometimes being left off the Tour route, these victories did not fall in consecutive years. There are only two riders who have ever won on Alpe d'Huez in two consecutive years. One is the Dutch rider Henny Kuyper, who won in 1977 and 1978. The other is Gianni Bugno, who won two in a row in 91 and 92. Bugno, to stick to our team, was born on Valentine's Day in 1964. But the romance of Alpe d'Huez doesn't end there. Giuseppe Groini, the winner in 1999, was also born on Valentine's Day. Groini, while not one of the biggest names to have ever won on the iconic mountain, is responsible for one of its memorable moments. As he was leading the race up the alp, he approached one of the hairpin bends as a photographer was preparing to take his photo. The photographer, just like with Wilfred Nellison in 1994, was looking through his lens and didn't realise how close Guarini actually was, and he couldn't move out of the way quick enough as he saw the Italian was approaching. The pair collided and Guarini was knocked off his bike, but he remounted and the ensuing adrenaline rush helped him go on to win the stage, merely adding to the legend of cycling's most romantic climb. Now,
1: I don't know about you folk, but I find that connection between the 14th of February and and Alpe frankly, a bit creepy. I remember the guy who knocked him off was called Eric and there was subsequently an art installation which consisted of the two pictures that he'd got of Guarini before he was uh, run over by him and a collection on a wall of his quotes the lesson there is exactly the same as the lesson with uh, Jalabere and Nelson things in the viewfinder may be closer than they appear Interestingly, I mean, going back to the Jalabir thing, it's arguable that, you know, without that accident, he wouldn't have become the great all-round roadman that he subsequently did and would have concentrated
0: more on sprinting.
1: Anyway, on to the last bit in this first slightly weird version of this week in cycling history.
0: Tony Rominger won the Tour of Mediterranean, his first ever stage race victory. Rominger was a relative latecomer to the sport of cycling, having only reached the top level of the profession at the age of 25, when he joined the Chateau d'Axe team of Gianni Bugno and Francesco Moser. He had won the famous Montferrand stage of the Tour of the Mediterranean in 1988, but had yet to win a stage race overall. But in 1989, at the age of 28, he won his first ever stage race, a victory which would open the floodgates to a stellar career. Rominger was a rare breed of cyclist who could compete in both classics and Grand Tours. In 1992, he achieved the rare feat of winning a Grand Tour and a Monument Classic in the same year, when he won the Vuelta España and the Tour of Lombardy. Only three riders since have managed to emulate Rominger in doing this. Lauren Jalabert, Damiano Cunigo and Danilo De Luca. Rominger has also won the points classification in the Giro and the Vuelta, and the mountains classification in both the Vuelta and the Tour. Winning a leader's jersey in all three Grand Tours is also a rare feat, which has only been done since by two riders, again Laurent Jalabert, along with Alessandro Pitaki. 1992 was the first of three overall wins for Rominger in the Tour of Spain, which remains a record. He also won the Giro in 1995 as a member of the mighty Mape team. As a quick aside, that Mape team in 1995 contained a staggering five past or future Monument Classic winners, Gianluca Bortolami, Andrea Taffi, Franco Ballerini, Johan Museo and Frank Vandenbroek, as well as world champion Abraham Alano. But despite all this fantastic success, Rominger could never quite put in a performance at the Tour de France. Having taken part in 1988 and 1990 in support of team leader Bugno, he switched teams in 91 and turned his attention towards the Vuelta. He didn't take part in the tour again until 1993, where he defeated Miguel Indurain in a long tour time trial, the first time the Spaniard had been beaten in three years. Rominger ended the race in second place and won the polka dot jersey. He managed a further two top 10 places in 1995 and 1996, but retired shortly after the 97 edition, having broken his collarbone in the race that would always elude him.
1: Despite being a child of the EPO era, and I'm thinking particularly of that 93 tour where um, Rominger duked it out with Indurane, and the toothy in Yaskula, I mean, what the hell happened to him afterwards? Rominger was one of my favourite riders at the time. You know, his exploits in the hour were, were magnificent on a, a repainted 1980s Russian track bike. And he really came closest to giving Indurain a fright before the uh, human growth, growth hormone and EPO-fueled Bjarna Ries did the job properly in 96. One thing that will happen as we move forwards is we will be doing a regular feature in the air as one of my (laughs) small obsessions. And once we get into the back and forth, I mean, usually when Killian and I record these wee bits which have been incorporated into the big shows up till now, we, we speak for half an hour or 40 minutes so you can expect some banter. But I really wanted to get this show out because it's been too long in the making. This one will probably be out of date by the time you hear it, because it'll have to go through the iTunes approval uh, sequence. But thereafter, we'll be releasing midweek, talking about things that happened that week. If you want to get in touch with Killian and I, you can, of course, just use the email at the Velocast, which is velocast.cc at gmail.com. You can find both of us on Twitter all the time. Killian's Irish Peloton, and I'm Sofa Boy. And if you feel once we get into this show, because this is very much the kind of placeholder until we start doing it properly, if you get into the show and you want to make a contribution or a, you know subscribe to the thing, you can do that. And a PayPal when you do that, please let us know that it's you know as much for Killian as for us, and we'll we'll split any donations that come in. If you'd be interested in sponsoring the show, then feel free to get in touch again. Velocast.cc at Gmail does the trick. Don't think that every show is going to be like this one. Uh, We had to get started somewhere and once the banter gets going it's going to be a lot more fun. Thanks for listening and hopefully we'll speak to you next week to talk about This Week in Cycling History.